Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Hello, I'm Richard Reinch. Welcome to another edition of Defining Conservatism. In this episode, I caught up with Bill McClay, the Victor Davis Hanson Chair in History at Hillsdale College, where we discussed the nation, patriotism, and memory. We are here today at the National Conservatism Conference, and I'm interviewing Bill McClay, the Victor Davis Hanson Chair in Classical History and Western Civilization. It's my honor to interview you, Bill. I've been knowing you for years. You write academic books that receive awards. You write books that sell you know, thousands of copies in a, in a better America would be in front of every grade schooler. I refer to your recent book, <laughs> Land of Hope, uh, widely published in our leading journals, including conservative journals of opinion like First Things, um, uh, Claremont Review of Books, among many others. And uh, you're now at Hillsdale. I am. I, I'm in my second year. Um, it's a sort of born-again experience. You know, I, I, I actually retired from the University of Oklahoma and uh, came to Michigan uh, with a banjo on my knee and, uh, and my wife. And, and, um, uh, and, and interestingly, uh, I have a colleague also named McClay, who is my son. Uh, he's in the classics department, and I'm uh, in history. So uh, it's 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 a wonderful setup, and uh, uh, and, and and by the way, he, he we get along just great. <laughs> it's not not doesn't go without saying, well, but, but uh, yeah, no, I'm very. Hillsdale's a small place, so it's good you guys get along. Yeah, I know we each other I, a lot. I, I, I even with how well we get along, I, I was a little nervous about it, but it's been great, and uh, uh, and he's really found a home. He classics, as you know, is a field that's in terrible turmoil right now and uh and there are no jobs to boot so the 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 quarrels are really the stakes are really small but they are uh they are stakes nonetheless and uh um uh, i'm really glad that he has had a safe landing in uh, an institution where he's valued and, and really is in accord with with his view of education and and, and his values he's a saint john's guy uh as i am uh so, um, uh, yeah, we, we, we love it. So you're, you are, uh, I want to ask you, so here we are at the National Conservatism Conference. You're an American historian. You know the American story incredibly well. You've written about it at length. How do you understand national conservatism oh, yeah. simply? I, I think that's a really good question, and I, think, I, I do think different people understand it differently. Uh, I have a couple of reasons why I wanted to be here. And, and uh, one was that I thought that someone who, who has spent some time trying to kind of re, reinvigorate our knowledge of the national story, of the American national story, you know, had, had a place in an event like this. I, I, um, there's a kind of creedal statement uh, of the organization that I, I have to confess I have not read. Uh, you know, I, I just went through a deposition on something, that, and I've discovered the value of not reading things. So you, you don't have to admit to having read things and comment about things if you haven't read them. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I'm a, an admirer of, um, of Yoram Hazoni, uh, his work. Uh, I, I, I understand there are a lot of uh, 
principled objections from people. I also respect like Peter Berkowitz, a terrific guy. And, uh, um, uh, so here's what I, to, what, it, what the national conservatism means to me, uh, <laughs> is uh, that uh, we have been for some time, uh, in terms of economics, in terms of the, the sort of ideology of uh, state formation and governance, kind of been pulling in two opposite directions uh, towards the disaggregation of the nation, either into its local components or its absorption into regional, global, multilateral, uh, post-national, transnational uh, forms of organization. And I think that, that this, this strain on the nation, on the idea of the nation, is, uh, is tremendously uh, potentially tremendously damaging because the, the, the nation for all sorts of, the nation is where our most fundamental uh, institutions and rights of self-governance uh, are lodged. And if we, uh, and I, and you know, for this reason, I'm an enormous partisan of the United States Constitution uh, and its, uh, its preservation. Uh, you know, when those two law professors, uh, one of whom I know a little bit respect, uh, wrote that piece in the New York Times saying it's time to trash the Constitution. Why isn't the FBI going after them? I, no, seriously, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm totally out of sympathy with that. I think the Constitution is one of the things that has held us together in fractious times in the past. And so, uh, but the nation, I think, is... It has a place. This is Hassoni's earlier work uh, really made an impression on me. Here was a defense, a full-throated, robust defense of the nation having a place in the scheme of things. Now, I'm, if you ask me within the context of American politics, uh, I might, strictly within the context of American politics, I might say something different, that... Um, I'm concerned about the, the ill health of federalism. I'd like to see more, uh, more of what we used to be called devolution or, or uh, a more uh, a reabsorption into state and local governance, the responsibilities that have uh, been swallowed up by the national government and by the administrative state, uh, that part of the national government, which is immune to correction from representative institutions, uh, which is a nice way of saying tyranny. But uh, so uh, from that point of view, I'm, not, I'm less national perhaps than some people here. I don't, I don't think a national ethos should prevail over all of the... Uh, Do you understand national conservatism to be lodging or wanting to lodge power in Washington uh, at the expense of a robust federalism, precisely because the nation is at stake. So much power is now in Washington. Yeah. That's where we have to go to repair well, the nation, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We have one I, thing that comes to mind that's been on discussion here this week is using the government heavily to intervene in the economy yes. for various I'm ends. nervous about that. Yeah. I'm nervous about that. I think, on the one hand, I think I agree with... Uh, um, and, you know, this is when I was president of the Philadelphia Society, I had to deal with this uh, tension because I thought there were some attractive things about national conservatism and necessary things. I still think that. But there are a lot of, uh, you know, sort of uh, hard-line free traders, Hayekians, Montpellerinists, <laughs> if there's such a term, uh, in, uh, 
in Philadelphia society who really don't, I mean, they're genuinely liberal all the way down. Uh, but I think, I do think there's a national ethos, minimal but real national ethos that has to be present and, had, and that we can't, um, I think what, what's happened with our relationship with China is, is, is just an awful predicament that we walked into, that we rolled the red carpet out for ourselves to walk that way. And uh, I think we cannot be wedded to an ideological yeah. uh, commitment to economics that, that beggar mm -hmm. us and, and place us in a position of, of extreme vulnerability where we have no manufacturing capacity, we have no, you know, we're in debt to our eyeballs. Uh, we, have to, we have to rethink all of that. But I, I'm sensitive to, uh, I mean, dirigisme is bad even if it's being done by conservatives. Yeah. Uh, it's bad, it inhibits growth, it inhibits initiative, it, there's all the things we know. Yeah. So we have to find a balance somehow. But I don't think it's that hard. I think in some ways that walking this out in the policy realm is going to be easier than solving it as an ideological problem. I mean, I think it, you know, we, shouldn't, we should acknowledge facts that you know, if you look at federal, state, and local spending, you're getting something on the order of 40% of GDP uh, being consumed by the government, being spent yeah. by the government. Yeah. You have an enormous regulatory apparatus, you alluded to the administrative state, which intervenes in the economy in, in many sectors uh, across the board. And so it seems to me if, if, if any conservatism in America wants to act like that's not a reality, that we're in some sort of libertarian state and, and we actually have to like get tough again, uh, it seems to me they're actually just false, dealing falsely with reality yeah. and will we'll plunge us into even more problems. You know, that, that being said, the China situation is real. That's national security. Yes, and we, have to, we have to act appropriately and act accordingly into our best interest regarding China and other nations who might be in league with China. Yeah, no, I, I, so I think this is, and this is a big part of what NatCon is about, I think, is, is thinking through how, how to address this without uh, giving, giving away everything that we believe in about freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, and that economic freedom, economic liberty, is 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 absolutely core. Private property, all of these very very uh, fundamental assumptions. They, they these can't be thrown aside um, in the interest of putting ourselves on a war footing when we're not at war uh, uh, yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but I th I, th I think it's a serious. There's a serious need to, and I, th I think uh, that the, we have politicians here, uh, some of the key politicians who are Josh Hawley and others who are uh, DeSantis, who we, are- we Rick uh, Scott speak last yes, night. Yes, yeah. and we, we, they're, they're, they're circling around this issue. We're trying to figure out a way forward. And I think, so I think some of the ambiguity that uh, exists in, definition of national conservatism is probably good. You know, sometimes ambiguity is good, especially in politics. It helps you to rally people to a cause where there's 70% agreement, maybe maybe even 30% agreement, but, but there's some hard level of agreement. And then the other things uh, are, uh, um, I forget the theological terms for the dia. The, the, what is it, diaphoria or something like that? There's this theological term for the the things that we can we can disagree about okay. and still be Christians. You know? Yeah. Uh, uh, someone will 
email me, no doubt, after they hear this and say, you idiot. You, <laughs> let me ask you, you've been, you're, you're a student of American conservatism. It seems to me, you know, and I'm, I've come up in the last 30 years, um, uh, or yeah, so um, thinking about conservatism as a whole, did it de-emphasize the nation at a certain point and not think about America uh, as a fundamental America being the fundamental unit of political, economic, military analysis, and actually see object, yeah. you know, commitments to regional, global order, in all sorts of ways, and, and de-emphasize the nation because I don't think the nation has been a foreign concept to, to American conservatism. No, no, and 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 look, I think um, uh, <laughs> Reagan did this very well. He 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 managed to do both things um, and not seem like uh, a, a, a kind of wimpy, um, uh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that kind of guy. Uh, he, he, it was robust. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, it was, I admittedly, partly carried by the force of his personality. And I don't think we have a Reagan in the wings. We have a DeSantis. We have a wings. DeSantis. And, and I, means I, business. I'm, I'm openly uh, declaring my... Uh, my, my, my interest in him as a presidential candidate. We're here in Florida where I mentioned this to Floridians and they say, no, you're not going to take our governor away. So there is that <laughs> problem. But no, no, I, I think he could be uh, uh, what we've been looking for because it, it, it all has to cash out in terms of practical politics too. You know, uh, I, Russell Kirk, mm -hmm. um, who... Uh, it, 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 it's indispensable. You know, every time you think you're sort of through with them, you go back and you discover, oh, wow, he already said this. And his famous formulation of conservatism as the negation of ideology uh, seems to me uh, it, it, to leave a very large berth, large berth for uh, a kind of practical politics, in addition to the respect for custom, which is the Burkean mm -hmm. sort of sense, it's clearly part of what he's saying there. But... He's not talking about mindlessness. Yeah, uh, yeah. He might be talking a little bit about an Oakshadian kind of non-ideological approach. Yeah, you know, Kirk always like, if conservatism became an ideology or a dogma, then it wouldn't be conservatism anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, so thinking, you know, I want to ask you this question as an academic. Uh, so big question, you take it however you want. When did America become a nation? Uh, would you say... Would you say the Revolutionary War? Would you say the Constitutional uh, Convention, the state ratifying conventions? Or does it happen later? Um, or is, can you speak of America as a nation? Well, I think you can. That last one I, I, I don't have a problem with, but it's, that's a great question because it is a process. And, um, you know, uh, I remember Daniel Borston, uh, who is somebody I hope gets resurrected one of these days, uh, you know, really a, a scandalously neglected historian of America. Uh, uh, you know, he has this series called The Americans, and they, they, it is the colonial experience, the national experience, and the democratic experience. So he makes, uh, he's, he, he sees the democratizing movement going on, but that we're national first. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I do think it's a gradual process, and you know, it's one of the ways that I teach American history, and I think most people do. Uh, those who actually, American historians who deign to teach American history, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that that uh, that there's, you know, you can look at a steady uh, sort of stream of events uh, that 
um, strengthen the centripetal force of national identity. But I, I, you know, I think you have to say the Civil War, um, that before the Civil War, uh, there was a still, a, 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 not only in the South, a, a lingering sense that we are, we have this very strange name. We're the United States of America. I think people don't think often enough about what a weird mm-hmm. national name we have. Although you know that, that Mexico's official name is the United States of Mexico. <laughs> so <No. laughs> it's true. Uh, so, uh, but, but yes, I don't want to make too much of this point then, but uh, it is, it, there is a, a, a tension and it's meant to be part of our constitutional order between our, the constituent elements, between the demands of unity, which is why we had to do the Constitution rather than the Articles, but the, also the demands of a maximum amount of autonomy to constituent elements. And that's, that's part of what we are, so that there's something, ought to be something in us that resists absorption entirely to the nation. But to get, get back to your question, I, I do think that with the Civil War, I, I would put it this way, America becomes a nation state, mm-hmm. um, okay. and uh, uh, and and uh, the, in some ways, ever since then, uh, the the difficulty, uh, the, uh, the 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 decentralist element in our makeup has been on the defensive, uh, and often aligned itself as in the civil rights movement with 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 bad causes. That's so unfortunate, but. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I insist that it, it doesn't have an exclusive affinity for bad causes. That's what people on the left think, uh, that you need uh, the, the, the nation to, um, mm-hmm. to sort of cleanse those things. Incidentally, I think it's, it's astonishing to me how much the left has decided to uh, uh, abandon, at least as a conscious... Uh, matter, patriotism, national sentiment. Uh, yeah. They they had a little flirtation with it back in the Clinton years, but uh, with bringing back patriotism, but it doesn't never last with them. They just don't really like the nation, uh, except they like having the levers of power for the nation, but they don't like the 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 purely pragmatic attempt <laughs> or the left to try to reclaim patriotism yeah. in, in the service of their own agenda. You know, you are the Victor Davis Hanson chair uh, at Hillsdale and Classical Western Civilization. He's written very well uh, and convincingly to me about the decline of U.S. citizenship. And yes. part of that decline is this um, is this sort of humanitarianism on the left. It, it certainly exists in Europe that uh, we aren't a nation that has to be protected in hard, tangible, concrete ways, like, like borders. That's, yes. the, that's the thing that's evident every Absolutely. day. Absolutely. Uh, borders, uh, that there is something like, um, that there's loyalty, that there's a dependency we have on the country that we also are called upon to contribute to it, and that contribution is not just income taxes or entitlements or things like that, but there's, there's something about American citizenship. Um, how do we understand that in relation to the American nation currently? Oh, yeah. No, I think that this is... Uh, I'm, I'm actually giving a talk on the subject of, uh, of America being a serious nation. This is, a, this is an example of our unseriousness. You, you say we're unserious. We are unserious. I, 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 uh, look, I actually can't improve on uh, Trump's formulation. If you don't have borders, you don't have a country. If you don't have a country, you don't have a constitution, you don't have self-rule, you don't have a lot of things that we really don't want to give up and that we are 
helping no one by giving them up. But it's a sentimentalism of, and, and it's not a, it's, it comes out of something good, out of a kind of compassion for those, for the stranger. This is biblical, you know, uh, and uh, it's not sufficient as a principle of governance, but it, uh, we should never be utterly cold-blooded about uh, regarding our, you know, our neighbors to the south as being, you know, subhuman or something like that. We, we, but we can't, we can't, uh, you know, just as I can't let the whole neighborhood around me come into my house uh, because it will destroy the livelihood. It would destroy uh, your Amish uh, furniture. Yes, yeah, it would destroy my Amish furniture. It would destroy uh, my, my children's lives, or at yeah, least the, yeah. they don't live with us anymore, but that, you know, that, that uh, figuratively yeah. speaking. You, you, you have to have boundaries. You have to have limits. Um, and uh, no principle. You know, when Andrew Cuomo, the, you, you remember him, Andrew Cuomo, oh, yes. yeah, uh, said that just one COVID death would be more than what's acceptable. This is unserious. Mm -hmm. This is, uh, I mean, I could go on and on about the, the, the examples of unseriousness in our national life. And I do this afternoon. Where do you, where do you, think, that, where do you think that comes from? I think a false sense of security, of uh, the, 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 the sense that America, and this is actually true even of people like Nicole Hannah-Jones of the New York Times who despise the country or appear to, um, that, um, that I have to interrupt myself. That 1619 thing, one of the things nobody remarks on is she starts out by um, talking about her father and how her father loved the American flag. And, and you would think, hey, this is a starting point for a different. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, black people have not been ruled out by our DNA. Your father! Mm -hmm. <laughs> Good grief, woman. But uh, uh, I'll probably get hit on Twitter for saying this, but it is, uh, um, actually I've lost my train of thought. I'm well, just getting, the, getting the, impassioned the flag, about the, this. The flag being away could, yeah. could somewhat, I thought we talked about the 1619 project as another part of this yeah. uh, project of defending the nation. Could, could the American flag be a way for her to reconnect to her country? Yes. I take it I, that the story ends with her saying, mm, my dad was wrong. Yes, it does, of course. <laughs> Uh, but but this is my, my the point now. I remember I was trying to make is that there's a kind of assumption that America is so strong, so prosperous, so indestructible that um, you know, none of this does any real harm. It, it, you know, you 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 can uh, redistribute wealth. It's not going to really do anything but good. You know, yeah. remember Obama? Just spread the wealth around. It's yeah. all good for everybody. You know, it, it, he, could make, he made it sound so homey. It was just yeah. like a fried chicken on, uh, on Saturday night. You know, it, it's just uh, a great thing. But uh, um, there are real it, costs involved. There are real costs, and real history tells us what happens. Real, real costs involved with the COVID lockdowns that, yes. that no one yes. could actually Seemed yes. to me in particular, there was a lack of seriousness in the sense of their trade-offs. And yes. you, you have to keep that in mind. And, you know, the rank unseriousness also being in our politics, the modern monetary theory insisting it's only money oh, we owe yeah. ourselves, so let's just throw it out there. And we see where we are now with 9%, 8 to 9% inflation. Yeah. And probably it's going to be even more. But, you know, it, yes, it's bad enough as it is. Yeah. yeah. But So there's a real sense that, that, that un, unserious sense like spoiled children who grow up thinking that, well, you know, everybody has a swimming pool. Everybody has a heliport in their backyard. You know what I mean? There's a yeah. sense that, that uh, there's a, it's just a matter of adjusting 
these mm. levels of prosperity and not uh, impoverishing ourselves. And uh, look at what's happened to Europe now uh, with uh, its adoption of green green energy policies really yeah. coming coming home to roost. Uh, Germans burning wood that they could scrounge up yeah. to, to heat their homes. Uh, so again, unseriousness about uh, uh -huh. about policy. Uh, Lincoln, I, I, I want to get this in. Lincoln, his first great public address was you know, the Lyceum Address, 1838, mm -hmm. and it's 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 wonderful it's address. Uh, it's a young man's. It's a young Lincoln, but there's a lot of insight. And one of the things he says early on is if this country uh, it goes kaflui, he doesn't use that technical term, but uh, it won't be because of an external threat. It will be ourselves. It will be our own fecklessness, our own disunity, our own loss of appreciation, of gratitude for what we've been given. And I think this is exactly what's going on, uh, that we are, and, and the, the symbolism of rejecting her, her father's uh, 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 love, affection for that that uh, that soiled flag. Um, that's that's a, almost a a, a, a a sinecure. I mean, a, a, it's a yeah. symbolic expression of that, of of lacking the capacity for gratitude, a, and and doing so from a very high position in American life. You and I couldn't have our thoughts listened to by as by as many people as someone uh, who is well placed at the New York Times does. Yeah, I, you know, thinking about this. Um, unseriousness as well. It's a a lack of gratitude, as you say, a, an inability to think historically, um, an inability to think about means and ends, and what you want to achieve, what you actually have to achieve. I take it part of this is progressivism being a part of an egalitarian end, that it sees egalitarianism as the end of humanity. Yeah. And it knows that history is actually moving us in this direction. That's been going on for a while in progressive thought. The new element in progressive thought is this... Um, is this idea that, well, we need an entirely new country. Nicole yeah. Hannah-Jones, I think, uses the term refounding. We need a refounding yeah. uh, because it's so we're so racist, it's so evil, it's so bad, there's nothing you can build on. That's the point of the 1619 Project. Right. I'm really laying it on thick here, but I don't think I'm wrong, ultimately. No, I, I mean, and, the, and, and it's the DNA thing. And if, so that's, and if that's true, then, you know, you need Ibram Kendi's anti-racist department. Uh, which will be funded indefinitely by revenues from the federal government, which cannot be questioned by Congress, yeah. to remake American society. Um, if, you, if you take that position, uh, then politics becomes impossible. Republican self-government becomes impossible. Mm -hmm. But I, I do think on the left, one sees a lot of this sort of, you know, and, and not that we're exempt uh, entirely, but there's this sort of, um, can I do compromises and legislative trade-offs and even come to any sort of consensus with people like that, if I take that mindset on. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny, and this may seem a little bit of a leap from what you just said, but I don't think it is. And I, I think one of the things we have really failed in doing is in, in education is teaching young people uh, about uh, the real history of communism. Mm -hmm. Because I think, uh, and you know, communism has been turned into sort of Spooking, spooky word, you know, but but um, no, it's a real story that, about what happens when you try to um, uh, level out these differences that w whether they've come about because of uh, inherent uh, you know, sort of physical differences or uh, injustice, which is of course what the woke agenda 
uh, would have us think that, that, that we're all equally capable, as Kamala Harris told us the other day, and we, we, we all have equal capabilities. It's only because of injustice in the social structure yeah. That, yeah. that we end up in different places. And I, I do think I should be a senator for the NBA, you know? Mm. It, it's really just injustice that has yeah. led to me being uh, marginalized. Do you do you understand? I mean, we've got a number of conservative thinkers basically arguing our institutions can't be conserved at this point. Um, yeah. They're arguing for maybe a, a new a refounding. Um, many of them appealing to a, a, a strong natural rights tradition that's been a part of one stream of conservative thought in America. Uh, what do you make of this? Can our institutions be conserved? If if they can, how do we do it? Are they as bad off as many articulate? Uh, what do we make of this? Yeah, well, I mean, I do. Th this is the easy part of the answer is that I think re if you're talking about refounding, about sort of transforming the institutional structure, you know, they might be right, but it's not conservative. Whatever yeah. it is, it's not conservative. And, you know, if the word conservative has to be abandoned uh, in favor of something else, so, so be it. But I, I think conservatism does mean, still mean it certain things and one of the one of the things it means and this we maybe even in this hall have people who don't agree with this but it means having as one of your fundamental premises the idea that human beings are are sinful are fallen are imperfect are in, incapable of comprehensively governing their own affairs uh, that we we are we stand in need of one another uh, as a, as a corrective force on ourselves, I'm just re restating uh, Federalist uh, 51 here, uh, but uh, that, that uh, there's a fundamental uh, aspect of human nature that is not perfectible and that cannot bring about per the perfection of things. And that we're sort of stuck with what we've been given, and we should be grateful for what we've been given by the flow of history. We should, we should embrace that, try to improve it, yes. Uh, conservatism doesn't mean stand patism. Everybody knows that, or they should know that. Um, it, but conservatism means beginning with the platform on which you stand, and not uh, sort of saying, "I want a different platform. I can't get anywhere from this platform." It, it seems to me, uh, when we think about our institutions, can they be preserved, conserved, rehabilitated, reformed? You know, I don't sense the American people calling for a wide for widespread reform. It's yeah. it's the clerisy, as you know. It's it's uh, you know the 10%, the loud 10%, or or fewer than that. 8% uh, of Americans identify as progressive in some well, you know, strong form, and so it's really it's us dealing with them, and and fighting it out with them. And one at one respect that that has to be done. I I just I don't have the sense that uh, as some have argued, the rural and the urban parts of America are going to get into or descend into a civil war, uh, or the, you know the federal government is going to collapse. Um, there are things that could be done that you know, certain people with will and, a, mm -hmm. and ambition could do uh, to right the ship. Yes. Uh, no, I, look, I think uh, just in our lifetime, uh, it, I mean, it's sad to use this example because we've backslid so much, but the transformation of New York City uh, from what it was in the 70s when I first started going there to what it was... Up until you know, yeah. the day oh, yeah. before yesterday, yeah. and no longer is, but uh, but it, it's it's proof positive that uh, serious I'm using that word again serious policing and thinking about policing tactics 
and other kinds of incentives to um, mm -hmm. law-abiding behavior uh, can make a difference, can make, uh, I, I mean, the transformation of New York, people who knew it in the 70s and 60s, and, you know, the, uh, uh, I think are, are astonished still at how, how, how much was done. And now we've thrown it all away. Yeah. Uh, we've just thrown it all away and uh, uh, an awful lot. Uh, just the accomplishments of the last four years in, in the economy, we've thrown it all away. Uh, uh, so, uh, it, but you know, that, while that's very disheartening, it may be a sign of this aspect of human nature that I was just talking about, it also shows that you can, we can make a difference. I, I, there are things that I really, uh, I would love to see, they're very abstract, difficult problems, but I'd, I'd love to see us try to work towards a more constitutional order that is, and really fundamentally what we're talking about is bringing back the primacy or, or at least the, the prominence of the, of the Congress mm -hmm. uh, in a way that's completely gone, uh, or, yeah. or almost completely gone. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I don't know how you go about that. I don't know how uh, yeah. uh, the, the, uh, uh, how you kind of roll back the the, the presidential mm -hmm. kind of takeover of all these things, uh, uh, but but I think it's something that we have to do. We have to find a way. Well, to it's also reinvigorate I mean, Congress. And I think on that point, it's also a way of um, joining the nation together in some respect. Because if all of these representatives from these discrete parts of America go to Washington and the senators go to Washington, and they have to actually talk to one another and agree. Yeah. And sort of like, if we have, and we were talking about this yesterday with some other people here at this conference, not even having a regular budget process. So each department of the federal government just gets funded up or down in one vote. They don't actually have to stand uh, yeah. and, and have their budgets marked up and debated. Things like that kind of can bring people together. Uh, you know, you come from Kansas, you make an argument. The, the representative receives other arguments he has to take into account, he or she. He goes back to his district, explains things to people about why he voted the way he did. And it's not, but, you know, but it's like he had ownership, he or she had ownership in this process. Yeah. And now it's what, I, the way I understand it, things move very dictatorial, and, you know, from the top and they yeah. just get voted on. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's the way it seems to me. And I'm not a student of it, but it, uh, uh, people I know who yeah. are knowledgeable would, would agree with that. So, you know, I, but, but the question is, I, in the first place, it, when you, and this is something that, that New York Times article is just astonishingly feckless. The 16, about. Oh, the, 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 the constitutional the, professors. The, the, uh, uh, two, so and, let's and, just uh, to clarify: guy. two elite law professors, one at yeah. Yale and one at Harvard. Yeah, uh, basically said we should dismiss the Constitution. It, it puts progressive ideas and goals on the back foot permanently. Yeah. Conservatives are in control of the Supreme Court. And we need to just force things, yeah. literally force things through. And the, and the, I guess the legislature was the only part and achieve egalitarian objectives, reform the Constitution, amend it in, in, in our own image, and then we'll go forward. That was yeah, that was pretty much it. And, and um, you've stated it with Samuel Moyne, yeah, uh, Moyne, one of the signatories. I was very disappointed that he would write something like that. But uh, uh, yeah, but it, it's sort of, uh, you know, uh, they. What is the saying? And they said the quiet part out loud. Yes, <laughs> they said the quiet part. Well, they said uh, something progressives have kind of always sensed. I mean, going back to Woodrow yeah. Wilson. Yeah. Uh, but really, just uh, you know, amplified it dramatically. Yeah. 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 Um, I just I, I look what people like that. If they were serious, 
and I think it was a fundamentally unserious article, because kind of um, this. I, I, this is misusing the word, but the way that people use the word performative now, uh, which is not what the word means, but it's just a performance. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not a serious contribution because the alternative. How do you how do you transition mm-hmm. from? I mean, we we get nervous over the least little thing mm-hmm. changing in our, our the structure of our government. Imagine, you know, the process you'd have to have to to transition from the, the, the constitutional order we have now to something that would be more to the liking of, you know, a few uh, elite law school and and and, uh, and college and university professors. You know, it. it have you ever been to a faculty meeting? You have. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, just a, it's not going to happen. Uh, so you've got to be responsible about what alternative you have, just as if you're going to go to war, well, you have to think what your exit strategy is going to be. All of these. It's a war the, politics. Yeah. Um, what would they do with the other half of the country? I guess yeah. that we, they just think we would go along. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> no, it, it's not serious. It's... it's um, it's maybe a cri de coeur, and uh, uh-huh. so you know that's that's I suppose. That's uh, maybe we can end with this question. I, so Susan Hansen, I interviewed her yesterday. We oh, talked a bit about, person. yeah, we talked about Republican virtue, and you know, some we don't really talk about that, and we don't know how to talk about that. It seems to me that's the deficit, and, yes. and part of the unserious that's, country. Yes. Maybe maybe just articulate how you think that might contribute to rebuilding the nation here here at the end. Well, let me give you an example. It might surprise you, uh, but it's one I often use with people on the left who say, "Oh, cut out all this virtue talk." You know, this is all it's just it's all, se- <laughs> all, all you want is sexual repression or, or something like that. Uh, um, uh, and, and, and of course, all of us on the right are actually are opposed to sex. You know, we want to see it abolished. And, yeah, yeah. Although we won't allow uh, artificial reproduction either. So, what, yeah. But no, seriously. Uh, National health care, you know, this has been for a hundred years or more a, 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 a wish fulfillment dream of the left. Uh, and uh, look, I'm, I'm actually not uh, categorically opposed to it, but what, what you have to do for something like that to succeed is you have to foster in all the American people uh, a kind of uh, trust in governments in its honesty, its transparency, and its willingness to, to deal in, a, in an open and, uh, and, and trustworthy, rule-bound way, um, in a neutral way with all of us, but to make us feel willing to make the contribution. Uh, you know, the Clinton administration tried to foster this idea that taxes are contributions. Well, you know, wouldn't it be nice, uh, as Jake Barnes says? <laughs> Isn't it pretty to think so? But uh, no, uh, you you have to have the deeds. You have to foster the idea that um, it is good to be willing to forsake some of your own benefits for the sake of the country. And that it's yes, it's good for people who belong to country clubs and and live here in South Florida, but it's also good for people who who could collect welfare benefits, who could, in various other ways, be uh, mm-hmm. um, drains on the state to sort of say, I, you know, I'm not going to do that. I, that that, that mm-hmm. I, my sense of self-respect, my sense of what's entailed in being a good citizen requires that I not be a leech. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, yeah. you have to have, and the left does not have 
any conception of what, what it would be to have that. The, the old left, older left did. Like, you know, you look back at people like Edward Bellamy. I mean, that's looking a long way back. Looking Backward is <laughs> his famous book. Um, he understood this. That you had to build what he called solidarity. Great word of the left, at least in Europe. Uh, uh, solidarity in order to foster this sense. I'm willing to forsake some of what, what I, I could grab for the sake of the country, for some, think of something larger than, than myself. Um, that's one way of thinking about civic virtue. It, it, the, the virtues are also sort of freestanding in a way, um, but, but they, they, they come to bear on, on the larger society. Uh, the, the locality, uh, the, the state, the nation, all of these things in different ways. But uh, if you don't, and this is, and some of the people back in the 90s who were trying to, on the left, who were trying to get patriotism into their pocket, uh, understood this. I think Todd Gitlin, the late Todd Gitlin, who had many sins, but uh, he, he really did come to understand this, that the left had to be patriotic. Um, that means they have to be nicer to us. Yes. It's just not what they're doing right now. Uh, this, uh, we 74 million or so souls that have been cast into the, a riddish outmost darkness Ma by, uh, by, you know, by Lord Mordor uh, the other day. Uh, you know, this is, uh, uh, this is not the way to foster uh, civic virtue, to foster a, a national sense. Um, but, you know, the, those of your listeners who are old enough to have been, remember 9-11, uh, the experience, it was extraordinary how this calamity, uh, for a brief time, caused yeah. a lot of barriers to drop. Yeah. Uh, and people were fly flying flags in Greenwich Village outside their windows. I saw it myself. Uh, and and uh, uh, it, was, it was a moment that makes you realize what's possible. And, and you could say that the, the great thing about American patriotism is it can kind of lie dormant taken for granted. Then a Pearl Harbor, a 9-11 comes along and yeah. we call on something in ourselves. And, and when I think about things like this, I start to feel much more hopeful about my country and that, that, uh, that the times we're going through are not necessarily uh, definitive. Uh, and, and I don't ever feel that there's no going back. Uh. I don't ever feel that. Yeah. I think uh, uh, there may not be any going back to the same starting point, but I think... Uh, that there's always hope. That's why I wrote a book called Land of Hope. Yeah. Oh, can I make a pitch here? Just make, I, make a, I, make I, a I pitch. Want, I just want your listeners to know that we've come out with uh, a young reader's edition of Land of Hope, uh, which is uh, uh, really designed for middle schoolers. And although I've had people say, this is just right for my high schooler, uh, and people uh, with very bright primary you know, fourth graders are reading it. Yeah. So uh, I don't think I could have read it in my book. No, we, grade, uh, we need to get these red state governors on board and just force, it, force well, it down the throats of the schools. I guess things don't work quite that easily. Well, that's what we're doing, though. Yeah. Uh, that it, it, uh, and it is uh, Florida, it's a, it's a uh, it, which is, uh, if I may burnish their reputation further, I mean, that the part of education here is fantastic yes. the things they're doing yes. to enhance civic education to to begin to introduce viewpoint diversity into the universities uh, I, I look DeSantis is a doer 
So uh, I'm not, I'm not, this is a, not a paid political announcement. <laughs> but uh, even for his, he has to run for governor, of course. But uh, Merely but, an observation. But, but an observation about what can be accomplished in red states. Yeah. And uh, this isn't all that red a state. If you look back at the election, people forget yeah. uh, how close the election and, and we, the, the Andrew Gillum almost won. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. nothing to be taken for granted. Bill McClay, thank you so much for joining us to talk about uh, the American nation, national conservatism, and Republican virtue, and many other topics. It's been a great interview. It, Richard, it is always great to talk to you. I recommend it to any of you, if you ever get the chance to talk to Richard Ryans, do it, uh, with or without microphones, because he's. Uh, I, we could sit here and talking for three hours. Crowded main halls of the National Conservative That's right. Conference. Yes, there's a crowd gathered around us, taking in every word. They want to hear you, Bill. Bye-bye, <laughs> everybody. Thank you. Thank you.